Welcome to Equipus Church, Dunedin. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jordan Smith. For more information, check out equipuschurch.com. Awesome. Thank you. Grab a chair. It's nice to be in church, isn't it? Isn't it? It's good to be together. Good, yeah. Pastor Willie thinks so. Everyone else is like, nah, I'd rather be by myself in a dark little space. So, yeah, let me assure you that it's good to be together. Yeah, isn't it? It's good to be together. And uh, it is an interesting time, isn't it? Uh, it is an interesting time. Uh, and as you're here this morning, uh, the sermon that I preached this morning was about uh, part of the reality of life is that there are seasons and times where it's dark, right? And you know it's dark when you're in the dark, right? I'm in the dark. I don't know what, that's like a saying, isn't it? Oh, I'm completely in the dark. You don't quite know what's going on, right? And the point this morning's message was that, you know, that Jesus is not afraid of the dark and Jesus isn't in the dark. He's in the dark there with you, but he's not in the dark about what's going on, right? Uh, and one of the big challenges, I think one of the great opportunities through all the chopping and changing that is COVID, right? Because that's the basics, the basics of how it affects us. The biggest challenge is things change, rules are changing, uh, relationships change, and the way we relate to each other is being fought, changes a force on us. The great opportunity is through all those changes is learning how to be, how to walk on the water, right? In the dark where things are moving, one of the things that's moving in the dark is God's moving, right? There's no moment where God's not wanting to move. There's no moment where the Holy Spirit isn't working in a space. And it's too easy for us to go, oh, this is good. This is good because it's nice and tidy and straightforward. And this is bad because it's dark and scary and chaotic. The reality is it is good, right? God created the light and the darkness and he said it was good. Right, so that's that was that was this morning's message. If you weren't here this morning, you saved yourself like forty minutes by just that, just by tuning in for that recap. Right, uh, tonight I want to talk about. Um, I, I want to just extend the conversation a little bit further. Um, I grew up in church. Did anyone else grow up in church? Did anyone grow up in this church? Yeah, yeah, a few of you guys did. Yeah, so you grew up in a crazy Pentecostal church, right? I grew up in um, a Pentecostal church, one step crazier than the Apostolic Church, right? Probably two steps crazier, right? So we believed that we were the only people going to heaven. Uh, 120 of us, we were going to go to heaven. Uh, it was going to be it was going to be small, intimate gathering, uh, just us and Jesus. Uh, everyone else was wrong. Uh, you had to speak in tongues to get saved, right? So it wasn't about acknowledging Jesus. You also had to do the jibber jabber. So no jabber, no heaven. Right? That was the rules back then, right? Um, and I wasn't quick enough to come up with a alliteration for it. Anyway. Um, no jabber, no jubilee. There we go. Uh, anyway, the um, so I grew up in it, and the, the, the theology was poor, like even worse than ours, right? It was even weaker than our theology. Uh, and um, my uncle was the pastor, and um, the original people that got saved, much like the Apostolic Church, the original people that got saved were like deep working class, right? If you know anything about the Apostolic Movement, we're, not, we're from that side of the tracks. We're not, the pastors who started our movement back in Wales, they came out of the coal mines, not out of the universities, right? That's why we like it here, right? 
because we can understand it, right? Um, and and the, the church movement I was part of started in Australia. It was an offshoot of the Australian Apostolic Church, right? And that, that's the church that I grew up in. And how it went in our church was that things might get bad and then they would get good, There'd be a miracle, right? And there were lots of miracles. My favorite one is uh, an old guy in the church. His motorbike broke down. Very, very old motorbike. Very, very old man. And he came to church on a Sunday. He needed the motorbike to get to work on Monday, right? And this was the olden days, right? If you didn't get to work, you got fired, right? It's not like now where you, you go if it suits you, right? But it's uh, if you didn't get to work, you got fired and he needed a job. He's a fitter and turner, but he couldn't fix the motorbike because a part was broken and it was a very old motorbike. So he brought a hanky to church, as you do, right? He brought a hanky to church, and he got the pastors to pray for the hanky. Uh, and then he took the hanky back, and he tied it around the broken part of the motorbike. This is not an intelligent man, right? Luckily, right? Luckily, right? And he got the idea from the Bible, because in the Bible, they would pray on cloths or garments, and then they'd take the garment to the sick person, and then the sick person would get well. So he thought, oh, well, you know, if God can fix a person, motorbike's simpler than that, so... Made sense, right? So he took the hanky tied around the bottom and then each hour through the night, right? So he'd set an alarm. I don't know how he did it, but he'd set an alarm. I was pointing at the watch. He probably didn't have a digital watch, right? He set an alarm uh, and he'd get up and he'd go out to the, to the garage and try and start the motorbike and then give it a few tries. And if it didn't start, he'd go back to bed, get up an hour later. At three in the morning, the motorbike started and he rode it to work on Monday morning, right? So that was the sort of church I grew up in, Right? where if a bad thing happened, we'll pray and fast until it came right, right? And that, that's brilliant, right? And we, where we, if you grew up in this church or if, you, if you've been part of this church for a while, you'll pick up on this, this dynamic in church where it's like God does miracles and we're going to pray and believe. If you haven't picked on that, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it a bit more, right? But that's part of what we're about, right? God does miracles. We'll pray and believe. God provides jobs. God gives good grades, God helps us study. God helps us with crazy kids when we're parenting, right? God helps us in all the normal parts of life, right? And we can't necessarily put together like a, like a um, you know, a, a, a theological paper about how it all works. But we just know that when we pray, God will move, right? And when we, you know, amen. And then we also believe that, that, that there's seasons in life, right? We believe in seasons, right? There is springtime and harvest. Have you heard that? So there's sowing and reaping. Who's heard of that? We're sowing and we're reaping, right? So we're either, we're either reaching out and believing or we're receiving the increase, right? That's the church I grew up in. We're either reaching out and believing or we're receiving the increase, okay? Give me a nod if you can recognize that dynamic in our Christian faith. It's part of who we are as a, as a movement of churches. It's part of who we are as, as followers of Christ in this, in this corner of the body of Christ, right? Maybe we're an elbow. I don't know what part of the body we are, but we're, right? And so different church movements and throughout history have had different sort of emphasis. But one of the key emphasis that we believe is God works in the real world, right? And we pray and believe, and then we also receive breakthrough, right? That's what we, that's what we do. That big challenge, though, is that when it comes to actual how it all works out, sometimes we miss some of the seasons. So we're sowing and we're reaping. That's two out of four seasons. 
And one of the things that you have to learn in church and in your life is that we're not always just sowing or reaping, right? That's only two of the seasons, right? Spring and harvest, right? So we're good at sowing. Pentecostal people, we're good at believing and reaching out, right? Yeah, that's what we're into, right? We're not just here thinking about it, right? We're believing, we're reaching out, we're, we're praying, we're expectant, right? And we're good at celebrating when miracles happen. We'll get people up to tell the story, we'll tell other people about it. And I think those are two amazing seasons in life that we need to continually be good at. So if you're a parent leading a family, come on, don't forget when things are tough, be praying, be believing. Come on, be sowing in, right? Because then when it comes good, you can then celebrate, right? So sowing, believing, reaching out. So don't, don't forget to pray about your exams because then when God blesses you, you'll be able to celebrate, man, oh, oh this was better than I expected or this was this is even worse than I expected, but, I, but God's with me in it, right? So praying and believing and receiving, right? They're two out of four, right? Because the seasons actually go like this. They go spring, sowing, right? Then it goes summer. So sowing and then growing. This is one of the things we're not good at in Pentecostal churches, right? We're not good at just holding the pattern and go waiting, what we tend to do is sow and then we're waiting for, oh, it's not coming. Pull that out and sow something else. I'll pull that out and sow something else. Oh, we've got to try something different. Oh, I've got to read another book. I've got to go to a different conference. And we get a little bit frantic at the so- in, in, in the summer. What we need to do is you sow, you really sow, and then you hold pattern. What farmers do, I'm, gonna, I'm stretching outside my area of expertise here, right? Into actual work. I have no real understanding of actual work, but my understanding of what farmers do is through the summer, they don't do heaps of sowing because they've already done it. They don't just keep sowing and sowing and sowing until harvest. There's a bit in the middle called summer where it's just growing, and that's where they're tending it and caring for it, right? So we, we do need to get better at that season. What does it mean to manage things well? Right, so are you praying and believing for a house? Cool. Pray, believe, but you also need to be saving each week. Can you hear the difference, right? So if you think about New Zealand, we're actually quite good at a new, hey, we're going to do this new good idea, but there's never any money in the bank to do it, so we have to figure it all out, borrow it, all that sort of stuff, right? In other countries in, in the world, they don't borrow money to do government projects because they've actually prepared beforehand. Like in New Zealand, in Wellington, sorry, uh, a couple of years ago, six months, 18 months ago, the, the poo pipes through Willis Street exploded, right? 36,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools of sewage pumping into the harbour every day. That was the day after the city council declared a climate emergency. I was like, well, you do have a job to do around the environment. It's got more to do with the poo pipes than the global climate, but anyhow, right? Um, because those sewage pipes were more than 100 years old, and if you talk to an engineer who works in the city, nearly every engineer working in the city knew those were about to break, right? But we haven't done the maintenance and management process, right? Because we're not good at it as New Zealanders. We're much more excited about what's the next new thing? What's the next new thing? So sowing and reaping, but we forget in the middle there's growing, sowing, growing, and then reaping, right? Here's the thing. I, I, I prayed for my neighbor. I, I invited them to church. Okay, so you've sowed. 
What are you doing to nurture that relationship and see it develop into something, right? Okay, and then reaping, right, at the harvest. We're good at that. Hey, we're, just, we're, we're good at celebrating. Hey, God's blessed us. How awesome, right? You often you'll see on, if you're Facebook around the Equipment Space, people get it. You know, young couple gets into a new home. There's them standing outside with the sold thing there, you know? Yeah, yeah and that's, like, that's an awesome thing to celebrate. And it's not just a miracle of sowing and reaping. They would have done, there's a process in the middle that they could tell you about if you, if you needed to know, right? Anyway, the main season we're not good at is we're, we're, we're good at sowing. We're not that good at growing. And we're good at reaping and harvest. But we're very, very poor at winter. What do you do when everything stops? And nothing's working. Nothing's growing. The ground is frozen. One of the challenges in life is that winter is one of the seasons. Right? It's one of the things, and, and you know, it's actually one of the most important seasons for setting up the next sowing, growing, and reaping. And oftentimes our lack of reaping in life is that we haven't done well in the dead part. Sometimes we lack life because we didn't do death well. Right, so I want to talk tonight really briefly now, apart from this 45-minute introduction. Uh, I want to talk really briefly about what do we do when we're dead? What's the appropriate protocol once you die? Okay? This will be helpful at some point, right? Because at some point things stop. We talked this morning about life is this, it's not this machine that's ticking along nicely. It's actually this quite chaotic adventure story. And at some point in the adventure story, you get to die, or things will die. A relationship will die, or a dream will die, or you will die, right? Or you'll feel like you did, right? And the key thing to know, and it's better to know now what to do when that happens. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down, what to do when you're dead. Um, And it's got to do with this idea of descending, and it's something I intrigued by whenever I'm reading the Bible I'm looking always looking for the things that are descending uh, my name is Jordan and Jordan means descending it's the Jordan River is just called a river goes down from there down to there right it's a pretty simple idea right it's going downhill like all of the other rivers but some for some reason this one was particularly identified that partly because it goes down into the Dead Sea, right? So things descend down into death right so we're talking about descending so we'll look at some scriptures right This is what Jesus said. He said, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Wow, awesome. Isn't it awesome? The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That sounds like the start of something exciting and brilliant, right? Uh, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. So how does God glorify things? He kills them first. Right? The glorification process begins with descent and then death. Right? The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And the solemn truth, not just the this is not the happy truth, this is the solemn truth. Unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. Feel can you feel the poetry of those words? <laughs> by yourself alone. That's quite a heavy. That's a feeling I've felt. You can be by yourself, 
or you could be alone, but to be by yourself alone is this thing, right? It's another thing. If it dies, though, it produces much grain. So the seed that gets planted in the ground gets to give up its life as a seed. Once it's planted, it doesn't get to be a seed anymore. But unless it's planted, it never produces this fruit, right? There's much grain. The one who loves his life destroys it. And the other translations say, whoever holds on to his life, holds on to yourself. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's translated, instead of life, it's translated soul. Whoever holds on to or guards their soul, right, will destroy it. The one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. So when, often when the New Testament uses the term hate, Right, Jesus said, used this one where he said, unless you hate your mother and your father and your brother. Um, what it means is to love less than, right? So if you, if you love yourself less than other things, right? Uh, then you're guarding your soul. You're guarding yourself for eternal life. Anyone who wants to serve me, anyone want to serve Jesus? Right, if we want to serve Jesus, we must follow Jesus, right? If you want to serve me, you must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be too. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him, right? Disturbingly, this whole following Jesus thing includes this carrying cross thing. There's this ancient myth, the myth of Sisyphus. I did classical studies by correspondence, so I don't know how to say any of the Greek names, right? I used to talk about um, the plays of Aristophanes. There you go, Aristophanes, if you're wondering who that Aristophanes was. Um, Anyhow, in the myth of Sisyphus, which was probably not something Jesus maybe knew, but maybe he did not, the, the myth of Sisyphus is that Sisyphus is cursed and he has to push a rock up a hill. So he has to push this rock up the hill, rolling this rock up the hill, and then always as he gets it just to the top of the hill, it rolls back down again. Uh, so then he has to roll it back up the hill, right? And as it just gets to the top of the hill, it rolls back down again. Ever tidied up a child's room and you push, uh, ever cleaned the kitchen, right? This is this idea of life. Life's got this repetitive burden factor to it. But Jesus didn't push a rock up a hill. He carried a cross. And one of the key things about Christianity is that in the mundane, carrying heavy things uphill, right, studying for exams, dealing with toddlers, dealing with husbands, same thing, right? Uh, These are the repetitive, frustrating or repetitive heavy things, right? Paying the mortgage, right? Pastoral conversations, Anyhow, we carry the heavy cross, we're carrying the cross, but the beauty of the Christian life is we don't carry out the cross up the hill and then it rolls back down. We carry the cross up the hill and we get to die on it. Yeah, 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 way ahead of me there, right? There's this next level where we're actually fully surrendered. So we're not like Sisyphus who is separated from the rock. In our Christian life, we're connected with the challenge and the burden, right? Um, Right, moving on. Another scripture. This is Jesus' baptism, and then this is in all of the um, first, the, in the first three Gospels, right? This story of Jesus getting baptized, and he, he gets baptized in a really interesting place. Um, it's the same place where, it's the same place where Elijah was hiding out with the ravens. Right, so it's a really interesting part of the Bible, right? And that's where Jesus then went into the wilderness, and they have this. Jesus and John have this conversation 
because John recognises who Jesus Christ is. And John says, no, you should baptise me. And Jesus says, no, it's right that you baptise me to fulfil all righteousness, right? This is the slightly shorter version in Mark. And it says, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee to be baptised by John in the Jordan River. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, the heavens split apart and the Spirit was descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dear son, in you I take great delight. The Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, enduring temptations from Satan. Thanks Satan for the temptations. Uh, And he was with wild animals. And the angels ministers to his needs. And then he comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit and begins his ministry. Right? So there's this little picture in baptism, which you've probably heard before, where where in baptism we surrender into the water. Right? What's the the first water in the Bible? Those who hear this morning, the first water in the Bible is the water, water. Right? Dark and stormy. So we surrender into the water and then we're brought back out of the water, right? This is picture of recreation. Uh, and this one is, this is a double, the symbolism of this passage is double because Jesus gets baptized, comes out of the water and the Spirit descends upon him and then he goes into the wilderness, right? Where he's tempted and he comes back from the wilderness and begins his ministry, right? Um, and it's, it's part of this whole idea of who Christ is. Jesus Christ is a much bigger thing than the historical Jesus, right? Jesus Christ is God himself in human form, right? So this scripture, which I didn't add in, but I thought of during the praise and worship, I thought we should read, right? So this is uh, all the people who know the Bible know which one I'm about to read. So it's Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, right? It says, you should have the same attitude... Or the old version say, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So it's like a frame. It's a thinking pattern, right? This is how we should think. The same way that Jesus, towards one another, the same way Jesus Christ did, right? Though he existed as God and he didn't require equality with God as something to be grasped at, right? So there was nothing Jesus could reach for. There was no, there's no growth in God, right? He's not going, he can't get better, right? That's what he is, right? He couldn't get any better, but he emptied himself. He couldn't get any more full, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, right? By looking like other men and sharing in human nature. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as a result, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. There's an, here's an intriguing phrase. In heaven, every knee in heaven's gonna bow. So there's things in heaven that have to submit to Christ. Right? You know all the things that annoy you about that you don't understand? They have to bow to Christ. Right, your emotions, the spirit that drives it, the forces of nature, the force, you know, um, the I'm trying to think, I'm trying to get everyone here. The forces of nature, your spiritual and your emotional state, all these things that are happening up there, the conspiracy theories and all those things that we don't understand, all of those have to bow to Jesus. Oh, they're doing this, they don't, that all has to bow to Jesus, right? All the other gods bow to Jesus, right? Things in heaven and things on earth. 
So we all bow to Jesus and every other thing on earth bows to Jesus, right? And then everything under the earth. Right? All those things, what they, whatever they are, right? They all bow to Jesus as well, right? Uh, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, right? So I've often heard this described, this is an ancient hymn that we, I just read, and it's described as the U-shape of Christ. When we think about Jesus Christ, we're thinking about a God who descended and ascended, right? This is the God who died. There's lots of ancient myths of gods who died, but they didn't descend like Christ did, Right? They died on a cross and then they came to life again, but they didn't ascend victorious, right? This is a new, this is a, this is, the story of Christ is different to all the other ones. So people, like amateur atheists on the internet will say, oh, you know, this God and that God and righty, righty, right. This is a totally different picture. And all through the, the shape of Scripture, it goes to great length. Scripture goes to great length to say this is different to all the other ones. Because God, Jesus didn't just die and come back to life. He died, and then they talk about it as the, the decimation of the underworld. So the ancient traditions are that when Jesus rose again, there was no one left in, there's no one left in hell. There's no people left in hell. Jesus went to hell and redeemed them all, right? He brings all those people out of darkness, right? Because that, that's what he was doing, right? We, we always think of him in the tomb, have a little, right? He wasn't in the tomb. He was in the underworld, redeeming all those things and bringing them forward, right? So I've drawn you a diagram because it's one of my new things is diagrams. I figured out how to make shapes on PowerPoint. Uh, and I like these cute little arrows. These are my new, this is one of my new discoveries on this one, right? So this is how it works. Descent, death, decay, and then destruction. Right? Outside the picture of Christ, this is how this is how life goes from sort of 18 onwards or whatever, right? You die and then you decay and that's it, right? But what we see in Christ is this actual different picture, right? So descent, death, and then this this Actually, within the death process, there's the germination of the next thing, right? So it's not a reincarnation. What we find is it's this resurrection life, right? So a reincarnation is you come back in, one, in a different step. So one step up or one step down. That's not what happens in Christ. In Christ, we, we receive resurrection life, which is this idea of abundance, Right, So we don't get a better version of our life. We get a resurrection life. The life of Christ is not just like a tidied up version of you. right? So God doesn't take the old car of your life and repaint it. He recreates you. That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we're recreated in Christ Jesus for the good works that God's prepared before us, for hand for us, right? I think we're at risk of this. Pretty soon, I, I reckon, my prediction, I'm going to put it out there by March, some year in March, right? The whole COVID thing has blown over, right? And we're on to something, we're back to, we'll go back to the climate crisis. That was keeping everyone occupied for a while, so we'll get back to that, right? Um, so at some point, the COVID thing blows over, but will, the question is, will we come out of the cave that we're in? Right, Because what we're supposed to be doing in, in winter, everything shuts down, slows down, we're supposed to be getting ready for 
Sowing. So I'm just suggesting to you, it's about to all open up again. We're going to get back to it. You'll be back in the place where you could start a new business, start some new ventures, uh, believe for something new, find a girlfriend, get married, buy a house, travel the world, do the things that you're supposed to be doing, right? But the challenge is whether whether you do that, right? Do we do this one? Or do we do that one, right? Are we just going to get stuck in the space that we've sort of been squeezed into? Or are we going to, from that space, allow God to germinate something new in us and come back with this resurrection life, right? So we really have this decayed germination. This is the process we need to be aware of, I think, right? Is that when, because death's going to happen, things go downhill. And then what happens when it goes downhill? Something germinates in us and new things come out, or we just decay. What did they say when Lazarus was in the tomb? Oh, don't open the, don't roll the stone. He stinketh, is what the New King James say. says, right? Uh, he'll stinketh, right? The question is this, when, when we get back to normal, are you going to smell bad? What are you going to smell like? What's it going to be like? How quickly will we get back to barbecues and having people in our homes and connecting with our neighbors? Or will we stay in this sort of not talking masks on, all that sort of stuff? How quickly can we get back into the life space, right? And it's going to determine what are we doing in this space? Are we doing the work we need to do in winter so that we're ready to go? Because what does the farmer do? The farmer's sharpening tools. He's planning what he's going to sow, where he's going to sow it. Have you got a plan? What's the thing you're going to do when, we, when we're allowed to do it? We've all been complaining about how we can't do these things, but what will happen when we can do them? Right? Will we, will we do them? Oh, I really wanted to travel the world. Well, are you ready to go once the borders open up? Yeah, I was going to do something. I was going to go to Bible College. Are you ready to go? What's, what field are you sowing in next? Right? Don't complain that everything's come to a stop. Understand that there's a job to do through winter. It's not about sitting in your cave moping. It's about planning. Where am I sowing? What am I sowing? Sharpening my tools, getting ready to go. Is that cool? So the question we've got to ask ourselves is how will we not decay? For some reason, I made this slide twice. So that's actually the second. Look at that. It's there twice. But anyhow, how will we not decay? And the first thing we need to think about is our worry worship paradigm. One of the things that decays us in the dark space is worry. One of the things that germinates new life is worship. And I think these two things work in, there's a, this is a dynamic. I think, I think sometimes, sometimes it's not about not worrying, but it's about matching our worry with worship. <laughs> right? Like you have to balance this account and you need to be in the positives, right? If you've got a lot to be worried about, you need to be engaging in worship proactively, right? This is a thing you have to do. And worship's one of those words we say all the time in church, let's worship, right? And I always wonder, what, what is it? Have you ever wondered what worship is? Because there's a hint, it's not the slow songs, When the Bible says we should worship, when I say don't worry, you should worship, I'm not saying sing slow songs. It's not love songs to Jesus till midnight. That's not what I'm talking about, right? Worship, worship and worry. Worship and worry. The reason this dynamic is so real is that worry is passive and internal. 
and worship is active and external. So they're direct opposites, right? Worry is this, how am I going to deal with this? Worship is Jesus Christ is King of Kings, Lord of Lords to the glory of the Father, right? Worship, if worship is happening inside your head, it's not worship. If no one else can see it, it's not worship. It's really nice thoughts that might build up to worship, but worship comes out of your mouth or is delivered by your hands. Worship is something like this. I, I wrote on Facebook, I wrote on Facebook, ah, um, oh man, I'm really feeling for the Aucklanders. I just got off the phone with one of my friends. I was like, man, I don't know how they're handling it. I, can, I just wrote, I don't know how they can handle it. And then Jen Gilbert said, yeah, I just sent a care package to a few of my friends up there with some coloring in for some kids and some nice treats. And I was like, that's a better idea than just sitting here going, oh, I wonder how they're handling it, right? She actually did a thing, right? So she's worshiping, not worrying, right? Have you ever been worried about one of your kids? They're starting to say weird things, you know? Are you, oh, I'm really worried. Well, what are you doing? What, where's, where's your, what's your prayer about that? What's your actions about that? What are you doing in the real world that moves that thing forward? So worship, um, there's a great thing with Cornelius. An angel says to Cornelius uh, and says, your prayers and your arms have come up to God as a sweet incense. Okay, so that's worship. Praying and giving stuff. Praying and giving stuff, right? I want to suggest to you that giving stuff is probably your best weapon against worry, right? Oh, really? Okay, on McDonald's in the olden days, they used to have on the on the menu on the bottom of the menu it said "smile, zero dollars." <laughs> right? It was a bit cute, eh? It was a bit cute. And uh, smart, smart people, probably like Mr. Hooker here, would go in and order a smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just trying to connect with the, uh, the girl in the polyester uniform, right? That's a quote of a great song, by the way. Anyhow, the, um, but the, re- <laughs> the reality is this. The first thing we can start giving is smiles, right? And then everything up from there. There's a, everything else costs more, right? If you're, if you're stingy like me, my surname's Smith for a reason, right? The, um, we can start by, by giving smiles, by engaging with people, right? Giving generously to people, right? And connecting with people, right? And that is our worship to God. Anything you give to someone else goes up to God as worship. Paul said it the same way. He said, because um, the... One of the churches, I think the Macedonians, had given Paul a whole bunch of money. And he said, the gift you've given to me is going to rise up to God as an incense, and then God's going to reward you, right? So if you haven't sponsored one of the food boxes, find 30 bucks. Pitch in with three other people. Then it's 10 bucks each. Pitch in with 17 other people, right? Figure out a way to do it, right? Pitch in with four other people. You put in five and then try and trick everybody else, right? There's ways to get this thing happening, right? But, but... My, the, the thing is that worship is active and external, right? One, thing you, one of the things that is worship is communion. Communion is worship. Because that's, we don't, I don't know if you've noticed this. You, if you haven't, you need to pay more attention. We don't sacrifice animals at church anymore. Right? If you haven't noticed that, if you're still waiting, it doesn't happen, right? We don't do that because Christ was our 
sacrifice, right? So the way we, because an ancient sacrifice wasn't about killing the animal, it was about eating the animal, right? And you eat it, ancient pagan worship, this is a bit of a, I don't know how we got here, but anyhow, ancient pagan worship, you'd sacrifice the animal, then you'd eat the animal together with the god, demon so with the demon that you're worshiping and the idea was that you would take on the nature of the demonic power that you are worshiping right that's that's why you eat together with your with the god you're worshiping right so when we take communion what are we doing we're actually having a meal together with god now here's the thing about meals you have to do it every day we don't have to we choose to right i actually choose to do eating lots of times throughout the day basically all day right when you're eating a meal, what we could do is engage God in that environment. How do you say grace at your house? This is how we do it. Thank you, Jesus, for our dinner. Amen. Right? It's dumb. We could actually invite God into our homes and turn our each meal into a small piece of worship that actually goes up to God. Right? You can engage with your neighbors like that. You can connect with people in worship. Amen. Okay, the next dynamic that we need to manage is, is, is pride and humility. Uh, in the first lockdown in 2020, uh, about a week and a half in, Mrs. Smith pointed out to me very clearly, she spoke to me very clearly, and she said, Jordan, you're not the prime minister. <laughs> so nobody cares what you think about the lockdown. That's not your job. You've got, a, you've got a whole other job. Why don't you do that job? <laughs> right? One of the challenges, oh gosh, there you go, pride, humility. One of the challenges when everything dies, right, when everything falls apart, it's a shock to our pride. How could this happen to me? Well, it happens to everyone, right? It's part of life. No farmer looks at their field at the end of harvest and like, oh, where are all the plants gone? I thought I was a great farmer. Do you know what I mean? No, no, that's part of the process, right? And the fields are all covered with snow. No farmer's out there desperately trying to make it happen. I've got to, we've got to muster the hustle muscle, right? They're Gary Veen and out there. We're going to sow seeds anyway, right? No one's doing that, right? Because it's part of the process. There's this season where you have to go, actually, at the moment, I am useless, Really struggling, things are dark, things are up, you know, things are cold, right? And and actually humble yourself in that space. What did Jesus do? Even though he was God, he took on the form of now when the Bible says he took on the form of a slave, that means the Bible is written in Greek, heavily influenced by Plato. The form of a thing is the reality of the thing. So when it says that he took on the form of a slave, that means he embraced the reality of becoming a slave. So when we think about when we think about the form of, we think of him, he acted like a slave. But no, what it says is he took on the nature of a slave, right? That's, that's how you defeat decay, is that you recognize, well, I'm just here to serve, right? So in that first lockdown, rather than thinking about the... Uh, um, uh, infection rates and border controls and vaccination plans, right? I just focus on cooking dinner, right? Helping kids with their stupid homework, suddenly realizing the teachers are just as bad as they always were when I was a teacher, right? The, um, right? That's the challenge, right? What's your job, you know? 
Because I could worry about what Trump's doing or Joe Biden's doing. I could be upset about Brexit, right? I could be worried about the plastic in the Pacific, right? But there's a whole bunch of those things that I can't do much about. But in my world, you know what I can do? I can help my 14-year-old with some maths. I can take my 17-year-old to the gym. I can save some money to buy a car for my teenage daughter, right? I can help people find jobs. There's a whole bunch of things I can do, even when everything else shuts down, but it requires me to humble myself into the zone that I'm in. The next one is independence versus submission. How many people love being independent? All of you. One of the funny things about lockdowns is that my job mostly meant that I stayed home, worked from home, didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything, which was fine until I was told that I had to do that. Then I was like, I can't believe this. <laughs> right? We can't have people in our house. Well, when is the last time I did it? The reality sometimes is most of our reactions to the rules at the moment is just the, the way that make us feel doesn't really have a material impact in our life a lot of the time uh, because actually we're living pretty independently anyway, right? And, and we're, pretty, it's pretty, we're pretty quick to react. And the, the key thing we've got to do is submission, right? Um, sub, is your life submitted or is your life a submission? A submission. That's what submission is. So there's a mission, Jesus said to Pilate, is there not a cause? So the mission is Christ, and your life can be independent or it can be a submission. This is, this is the outworking of the mission of Christ in Jordan Smith land, right? In the very small reality that I encompass, it's a small universe, but in that, that my mission is a submission, is your life a submission or are you hoping for Jesus to be a submission of your mission? Right, oh, I need Jesus to help me with. <laughs> Do you know what Jesus needs you to help him with? Right? We're here to serve Christ. Christ doesn't serve us. Right? If you have the mentality that, that Christ is here to serve you, there is a story you can read in the Bible called the, the Tower of Babel, right? Where God just destroyed everything. Right, because they were like, "We're going to build this tower, and God's going to come down here." Uh, God's like, "I'm not coming there." Uh, anyhow, submission. Okay, last one is surrender, and I, I love what Jesus says. Uh, he says, "This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own free will." I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Uh, this, the, the idea of Christ surrendering His life to the mission is the pattern that we are to follow. How do we surrender to the mission that's in front of us? I could give you some examples, but there's every single one of us that's going to look different. But it's got something to do with what, what are we laying down? So the decay, descent, death, however that order was, with a little arrow, cute little arrows. The thing that makes us germinate, one of the things that makes us germinate rather than decay, is submission. 
Where it's like, okay, this is what it is. This is the season I'm in. And I'm be- trusting and believing that God's going to resurrect things out the other end rather than I'm going to fight forward. I'm going to, can you hear? Um, surrender is almost the opposite of like fighting to the death. I, I, I didn't have an opposite for surrender. But the picture I had in my mind uh, was the story of King Saul. And I don't know if you know the story of King Saul, but King Saul was uh, the first king of, the, of Israel. So they shifted from like tribal governance to like nationhood. And Saul was the first king and he essentially chosen for being the tallest. He was the tallest person in the whole country, so they gave him the job, right? And when the Bible talks about someone being tall, uh, they, don't, they didn't measure people much, right? Didn't have, there wasn't even rulers, Right? When they say someone's tall, they're talking about them being big. Right? Not like big. They're, like they're just, they're a big person. Have you ever met someone who's a really big person and, and you're shocked when, you, when you're standing there and you suddenly realize they're quite smaller than you because you always thought of them as taller than you. Right? That's what it's like. So he was taller than everyone. He was larger than life, we would say in the modern language. Right? He gets chosen to be the king and he leads this terrible process where he's constantly trying to position himself. He's constantly trying to make God work on his behalf. He's constantly following the patterns and practices of the the peoples around them rather than establishing worship for God. And in the end, he goes into battle and he takes the ark of God with them into battle and they lose the battle and he suicides on the battlefield. Just trying to make it, he's he's trying to make it happen right to the end. Right? He doesn't even submit to losing the battle. Right? He's just fighting till the end. And I think there's something weird that I don't understand about this idea that we sometimes sometimes we're fighting for things that we need to surrender so that God can germinate them into something new. And our strong desire, we just I'm just and we put it in this faithful term. I'm just being faithful, I'm believing. I'm just I'm just I'm just believing to the end. But Sometimes that is actually, there's a wrong expression of faithfulness, right? Sometimes faithfulness is not to keep fighting for it, but to trust God with it. And, and here's the beauty of it. Only you know. Sometimes it's the right thing to fight, right? And sometimes it's the right thing to surrender and let things die, right? But the, the key thing is actually being obedient in the process. What's God saying? What, what are we doing in the season that we're in. Okay, so this is a very weird abstract sermon, right? But I want you to have a little think about some of those dynamics. What is it that you need to start doing? What do you need to start doing? What does is, what is tomorrow morning look like in terms of what you need to start doing in terms of managing in the winter space so that you can be resurrected into life when we come out the other side. Because it's no point. It's no point thinking about. Oh, that's an interesting. Look at some scriptures. It's like, what do we need to do? What do we need to do in our worship? What needs to shift in our sense of humility and pride? What needs to shift in our sense of independence and submission? You know, to the mission of God. What what needs to shift? What needs to change? Because the, the, the things that we shift and change are the things that are going to produce fruit, right? So a farmer doesn't think, oh, I need to really decide what seed I'm going to sow next year, he orders some seed, right? You don't just think about it. There's actually actions that take place in terms of preparing for it, right? Good? Okay, yeah. Let's. Should we pray? God, we just thank you for your awesome presence that's here. 
And Lord, I thank you that even as I've been talking, Lord, I thank you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've been speaking to people. And Lord, I pray that for, for each and every person in the room that, Lord, that your voice would be clear, Lord God, in, in the seasons that we're in. And, and we're not actually even all in the same space. Lord, but wherever people are at, Lord, I pray that to each and every one of us, Lord God, you would come and speak, Lord. There'd be revelation, Lord, for everyone sitting in the room, everyone watching online, Lord, there'd be revelation of what? What is the season calling for? What's the season demanding? Lord, we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to come out of the current season uh stinking of decay, Lord. We want to come out of the current season producing for you, Lord God, with resurrection life. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray that it blessed you. For more information, please check out equipuschurch.com.